Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. I'm going to move through some stuff fairly quickly today because I want to give you plenty of time to discuss at your tables. Um, But I want to first give you a context for um, where we're going in this series and why we call this Rhythms. Um, I've already heard some comments and no, it's not because the old worship pastor can't get over not doing music anymore, so you can keep those comments to yourself. Uh, As I've been studying recently, I've noticed probably probably no less than, than 10 different authors who have, um, who have used this word rhythms to talk about this idea of the normal daily patterns and habits and practices of just the regular parts of our lives. And uh, not just the spiritual disciplines, not just, not just Bible study and prayer and worship and fasting, but the normal, ordinary parts of our day and how those are actually formative in our lives. Um, and I think it's really easy, uh, especially, especially for us in our society, it's very easy to, uh, to focus on the flashier parts of Christianity, right? We, we market um, Christian experiences, we market these conferences and um, uh, big worship nights and the next big study and even men's breakfasts and expect them to do something in our lives to, pro- to propel us forward in our walk with Christ. We, we, kind of, we, we put a lot of weight on these things to, to move us forward in our walk, and they are great for those. I don't want to downplay their role in this. Okay? They are great in that. Um, but how easy is it to focus on the flashier parts of Christianity and overlook just the common everyday graces of life? I think we get discouraged during the seasons when Christianity is not exciting. Uh, But the normal rhythms of the Christian life are marked by a steady, unspectacular faithfulness. Something Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. And so when we're talking about rhythms, we're talking about the normal daily habits and patterns of life that move us toward a certain vision of the good life, the things that are, that are helping form our hearts toward Christ. In this series, we want to give you a holistic picture of your life that doesn't split the parts of your life into distinct categories of work and church and home and separate them into secular uh, and sacred uh, or... Uh, common and spiritual, but one that views the entirety of your life as an opportunity to to, uh, carry out the mission of God in the world. So this is what the next three weeks are going to look like. First, we're going to, um, we're going to look at, we're going to identify the rhythms that we're already immersed in and and how uh, we're going to become aware of how they shape our desires. And then next week, Kyle Wakefield's going to walk us through how these connect, how we connect all of these, um, these different parts of our lives holistically, how both the exciting and the ordinary parts of our day can be done with a kingdom mindset. And then uh, on the final week, Pete and the elders are going to come up and, and talk through how these rhythms look in their own life and how, how community really comes together to support these, these rhythms. But today, um, our task today is to identify, to become aware of the rhythms that we're, that we're already immersed in, become aware of how they shape our desires. And this includes 
the spiritual disciplines, uh, but it also includes the seemingly innocuous parts of our day, the, uh, the minor rhythms, the mundane and ordinary parts of our lives that, that also affect our desires. So the first thing that we need to establish in this is that, is that we, are, we are pulled forward by our hearts, for good or bad. We are actually pulled forward by our hearts. Uh, James K. A. Smith says that we live our lives leaning forward, bent on arriving at the place we long for. So we're pulled forward in one direction or another by our desires, but we have to be careful because we have to be nuanced in the way we talk about this because uh, there's a cultural mandate right now that it's not new, it's, it's nothing new, but it's, um, it's very prevalent to follow your heart, to just follow it wherever it leads, be who you're going to be. Um, and you remember Jesus said in Matthew 15, he said that, it's from the heart that all of these, it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. Uh, he said, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jeremiah 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who could know it? But you see, you see if we follow a wicked, sick, deceitful heart, we end up in trouble. Uh, but the issue is that we all follow our hearts, for good or bad. We all follow the pull of our hearts, the pull of our desires, for good or bad. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says to guard your heart above all else, because from it flow the springs of life. So the natural state of the unbelieving heart is wicked, but it can also flow with living water when it's connected to the right source. That's why we can't overreact against the mandate to follow your heart. Uh, we, can't, we can't dam up our hearts and our passions and expect that to solve the problem. People, uh, especially some in, the, in, in, in previous generations, have tried to, tried to do just that, to, to, to dam up the heart, to try and, and, uh, and just block the passions and, and, and just stay away from them. Um, but you see it now in, in, in even the moral failures of some of our spiritual leaders around us. That you can't dam up the heart. The dam ends up bursting. You, can't, you can only hold it back for so long. The dam ends up bursting and we're driven by what's in our hearts. We can't suppress it. So the answer is not to suppress our desires, but to aim them. How do we do that? How do you make yourself desire something? There's two parts to this answer. And the first part is that you don't. The first part is that it takes an act of God to change the state of our hearts. We already looked at what Jesus said about it in Matthew 15 and what Jeremiah says about the, the deceitful heart. But Ezekiel prophesies in Ezekiel 11 and again in Ezekiel 36. He says that God would come and put a new spirit within us and replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That he would come and do what we couldn't. He took our restless, wandering hearts that were weighed down for the things of the world, that only desired the things of the world, and he replaced it with a heart that is now able to desire him, able to desire new things. 
Augustine loved to talk about the restlessness of, of our hearts. He said, um, he, he said that, uh, he said this kind of in a prayer to God, that uh, you have made us for yourselves and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And, and he makes a really interesting point about the, the direction that our hearts can take. He says, he says, a body by its weight tends to move toward its proper place. The weight's movement is not necessarily downwards, like gravity, but to its appropriate position. He says, fire tends to move upwards, a stone downwards. They're acted on by their respective weights. They seek their own place. Oil poured underwater is drawn up to the surface on the top of the water. Water poured on top of oil sinks below the oil. They're acted on by their respective densities. They seek their own place. And then he says, things, are, things which are not in their intended position are restless. Once they're in their ordered position, they're at rest. And so you could probably use a more concrete example of, of a beach ball. If you've ever tried to hold a beach ball underwater... And you know the, the teetering that you end up in. And, and, and the ball is literally restless because it's not in its intended position. It's restless until it erupts out of the water because that's where it's, it's meant to be. It's drawn upward. So Augustine's picture of the stone and the fire is brilliant in light of Ezekiel's prophecy because God takes the heart of stone that's weighed down and restlessly seeking the things of the world and he puts his spirit within us, gives us a heart that's alive in him and set on fire through his spirit so that our hearts are no longer restless for the things of the world, but restlessly seek him. So the first part of this answer of how do I aim my desires is that God has to do it, but the second part of the answer is what we're really focused on in, in this series. The second part of this answer is that we're now given the opportunity and the imperative to live a life worthy of that calling. To, to clothe ourselves in Christ daily, making that daily choice. To adopt a certain way of life that directs our hearts increasingly toward Christ and his kingdom. And that's why James K.A. Smith says that discipleship should set us on fire. It should change the weight of our loves. Once God has changed our loves, he invites us to participate with his spirit in a rhythm of life that aims our loves more and more toward him. Let me show you this with 2 Peter. Is this on? What is this? Can you get me to, there we go, all right. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. This verse is saying that we've been given everything that we need to live the life that he's called us to. God supplies what he demands. It's through, you see in this verse, it's through his divine power. It's through his initiative. It's through his calling. Through the knowledge of Jesus who called us by his glory and excellence. Verse 4, but these, uh, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. 
the springs of life that we were talking about in Proverbs, they, they flow uh, with good things. They, they rise up in devotion to Christ when Christ is our source. Uh, it, it all flows from his divine nature. So he allows us to take part in his divine nature. And he rescues us, notice in this verse, he rescues us not from the material world, but from the corruption that's in the world by lust. The corruption that comes from disordered loves, from misplaced and misdirected desires and passions. That's what he saved us from. Peter's not saying that, that, the, that the physical world is evil and that we need to escape it, that we need to just do our spiritual things and neglect the rest of, of our life. He's... The very fact that Jesus came in the flesh, this is phenomenal. His, his coming in the flesh was an affirmation of what he said in, in Genesis, that what he made was very good. He affirms our humanity. If, if the physical world was evil, then he would, have, he would have had to try and find a way to save it from a distance, from some lofty outlook. But he took on flesh and redeemed even the ordinary parts of our lives. Jesus' baptism is another really, really cool, um, it's a cool thing to focus on because when Jesus got baptized, he's 30 years old, he comes up out of the water and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And at this point, Jesus hadn't really done anything that had been recorded yet. You have his birth, and you have one time in his adolescence where he wanders into the temple. Other than that, you have nothing that's been recorded of this man yet. He was a faithful son, a faithful brother, a faithful carpenter making good tables. He was faithful in the context that he was in. The fact that he lived an ordinary life affirms our humanity and, and, and means he redeemed the ordinary parts of our day as well. Um, when he came up out of the water, this is, this is pretty crucial. When he came up out of the water um, and the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's not making a statement of anything that he had done yet. He's making a statement of who he is. He's saying, this is my son. This is, this is who you are. And so Jesus operated out of his blessedness. He didn't operate to, to secure it. He didn't operate to earn it. And when we're looking at these rhythms in our lives, if you just come in and start trying to incorporate new habits and rhythms and patterns for the sake of earning anything, sonship, uh, his love, his, his favor, it turns into legalism but we operate out of our state of blessedness with, with the Father. Um, we're responding to his call. Most of Jesus' life was not flashy. There was plenty of big moments, uh, ones that aren't gonna be rivaled, right? But most of his life was marked by a steady, faithful rhythm. The whole of his life honored the Father. There wasn't a secular and sacred divide. There wasn't, I'm gonna set aside this time for just for you know, spiritual things and then leave the rest. He saw the entire thing holistically. And so as we're, we're gonna split up into tables pretty quick, 
Um, but as we do, uh, I want to give you some things to think about. I, I was actually kind of thinking about these, these major rhythms, these, these major spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and things that are absolutely crucial to our lives. And I was thinking, sometimes I think that I don't desire these things or maybe they're not appealing in my life because some of these minor rhythms are out of whack. That sometimes I, it's, if I don't see my life holistically, it's, it's like I'm trying to play two different songs at the same time. If I'm, if I'm reading my Bible and praying in the morning and then I go out and I'm listening to super angry music on the road and cussing people out on the, on the highway, then you've got very, a very weird line of what you're trying to do with your life. You've got two opposing rhythms going on. You're playing two songs at the same time. You've got things, you've got these practices in your life that are orienting you in a completely different direction than what these other formative ones are. It's all formative. Um, So I want to give you a couple of practical ideas. Uh, on, your, on your tables, you're going, to have a, you're going to have a handout, and it's going to have some, um, some discussion questions, and on the back, it's going to have uh, some rhythms to take with you, just some ideas. Some, so just take one or two things this week and, and take them and put them into practice. And uh, I want to say a couple things about these before we split up. One of them, uh, monitor your input. This is really interesting. If you, if you monitor your input, uh, the things that you're immersed in and how they affect you. Uh, social media is a great example. It's something that is good. But it's something that if I spend an hour on the couch uh, on Instagram, I don't know any guy that's spent an hour on Instagram and then got up off the couch and said, that's what I'm made for. I have fulfilled my purpose in life. I feel alive. You, you monitor these inputs and you, and you balance this stuff. And you start to see, just notice this week, as you're on social media, notice how it affects your, your attitude, your mindset. Um, some other things, relationships. Notice how the different relationships in your life pull you in different directions. TV shows, political uh, talk radio, I was a big talk radio guy probably 15 years ago, and I hated life. It made me an angry person. It ruined me (laughs) because I was just angry about everything all of the time. There was not enough things that I could get angry about. These inputs that we allow into our lives are shaping us. They're forming us. Uh, One thing that I want to continually... I just want to continually bring up in our men's ministry is is becoming men of the second shift. Not clocking out when you get home, but being present at home. Being available, being uh, helping out with the chores, leading your family in these in these rhythms. Um it's hard it's hard for me. I I full-time pastor right now pursuing a master's degree. It's very difficult for me. It takes a very conscious effort for me when I get home to be present. Uh, I heard somebody say, how can, I, how can I say that I would die for Christ, but I can't even die to myself to get off the couch and do the dishes? I could go do, I could go do mission work in Africa, grueling hot work, but I can't scrub a pan we see the big things in our life as the significant ones, and we don't see the, the small, ordinary pieces as formative parts of our day. 
So become men of the second shift. Whenever, uh, lead your family in these rhythms. When you've got small things like praying before a meal and praying for bed reminds you that we are desperately in need of God's provision and safety. I think one of the hardest rhythms to get down is how to respond when your normal rhythms are broken, when they're interrupted, right? If you go out this week and you try and put some of this stuff into practice and then your kids interrupt you, your wife interrupts you, uh, something doesn't go quite right, it's going to be devastating. It's going to feel terrible. How do you respond to that? Part of putting these rhythms in, in your life is not just, I'm going to put something new into my life. It's I'm going to respond to people in a different way. Um, it's not just adding rhythms, but it's responding rhythmically. For example, my marital conflict can be an opportunity for worship. Parent-child conflict can be an opportunity for worship. As somebody responds negatively to you, how do you, how, do you re, how do you react? How do you respond to that? It can be an opportunity for worship. Um, those are the, the trenches of sanctification. Um, do this as you're driving this week. Pray for the maniacs on the road. I tried to do this this week as, uh, as I was prepping, just to kind of put some of this into practice. And I tried to actually pray for the guys who are... Who are you want to put Jesus' words into practice and love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Try praying for the guy who cuts you off and flips you the bird in the middle of traffic. But the funny thing is, this is what we're talking about in these, in these, in these practices, is that they start to form you. If, you. if you sincerely pray for the guy or gal with no strings attached, it softens your heart even just a tiny bit because you can't pray for that person sincerely and hold on to that hate. And so you see how a little practice can go a long way in shaping your heart and forming it. Uh, Unless you run around just going, bless you, buddy. You don't want to do that. Um, So how do you you develop more as as we're breaking out Think about this. How do you develop more of a hunger and a thirst for the kingdom? How are these desires formed in us? First, God puts it in you. But if you, if you change your eating habits, so to speak, have you ever changed your eating habits and notice you start to crave different things? I ate a whole food plant-based diet for about a year. Me and my wife did. And tell you what, I hated it at first. And then I started to crave these salads. I would make these monster salads with all of this stuff in there. I'd mash up these avocados in it and just make this kind of guac dressing in it. And I craved it because my, my hungers started to change when I wasn't eating the cheeseburgers. Now the salad sounds disgusting because I'm eating too many cheeseburgers. If you change your eating habits, if you, if you continue to taste and see that the Lord is good from the big things in your day to the mundane then your hunger grows because your heart is aimed towards him and pulling you further into his presence. Uh, It's a really good quote. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. 
We're not building boats for the sake of building boats, guys. But as we partake in this boat building, we're developing this longing for the sea, this longing for the endless immensity of our God. Can I pray for us? Father, I thank you for, uh, for your work in our hearts. I thank you for your initiative. I thank you for your divine um, salvation, God. The fact that you have taken that heart of stone and that you have replaced it, God. That you have set us on fire and changed the weight of our love. And I pray that as we talk today about what we can put in place to work in harmony with your spirit. God, I pray that as we talk about that, that you would start to show us how these things can can help shape our, our hearts, can help aim us more and more toward you, Lord. That we can uh, do what John did and just lay back against you and hear the rhythm of your heart. God, we love you and we thank you and uh, just bless our time in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.